Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masecha Psachim, daf kuf zayin, page 107. Yerdena, do you know that in two weeks we have the seam from Masecha Psachim? It's I'm really very exciting. super excited about it, and if you have not signed up, please do. Uh, we're still looking for a few more people to speak. We have a few people signed up. Uh, so please let us know what you can contribute. I know people may feel a little pressured this year with it being somewhat close to Pesach and the last Sunday before Pesach. But, you know, even if you just have two minutes worth of something to share, we'd love to hear from you. Indeed. I think that I feel like there's a lot to reflect on here. Even just from this one parak, there's a lot to reflect on, especially as we come into Pesach. Okay, Absolutely. So- what we're talking about today, at least my section of the daf, is not really about Pesach at all. We're still talking about Havdalah. So I'm going to begin from the top of the daf for a change. Um Rava. Hilchata. The halach is as follows, according to Rava. Tam mekadesh v'tam mavdil. Somebody who has already tasted food, right, prior to making Kiddush, could still be can still make Kiddush. And likewise, someone who has tasted food prior to making Havdalah, can still make Havdalah. Basically, you're not supposed to eat before you get to that mitzvah of either making Kiddush or making Havdalah. But if you've done so, if you've eaten something, that doesn't mean you don't then make Kiddush or Havdalah, you know, even if you weren't really ideally supposed to eat beforehand. And if you didn't make Kiddush, it says Erev Shabbat. We now talk about Erev Shabbat, meaning Friday. Prior to Shabbos, it means here uh, really Friday night. You can still say that Kiddush you know, any time over the whole day of Shabbat. Ad Motzei Shabbat until Shabbos is out, right? So one who has not made Havdalah on Saturday night can make Havdalah as yours is Kol HaShabbat Kulo, just to confuse everybody, right? Shabbat in this case means week. So the entirety of the week, according to this uh, piece of Gemara, you can make Havdalah if you if you neglected to say it um on Saturday night. Um, the Gemara, the commentaries here, you know, restrict this and say really what it means is during the first three days of the week, which is the time period that is colloquially called after Shabbat, you know, which is, they talk about um, until Tuesday. And the best, the most dramatic example I can think of this is that during the Yom Kippur War, there were people who kind of left from, uh, left from shul on Yom Kippur and they went to do army things. And then they were still fasting, and they did, were not able to make um, to make avdala and eat until literally, you know, basically the Tuesday, right? The three days later. Um, I don't know too much about how how common that was for people following after after Jim Kipper, but I know that it did happen. Okay, Amemar takes this teaching of Rava patachla lahash derava lishna. So Amemar takes the same teaching of Rava. This is a you know as a student, as a following on the, the next generation, whatever. And he says, in, it's a different language, basically. Amar Rava, Hilchata, right? It should be a direct quote, but you're going to see it's a little bit different. Hilchata, Ta'am Mekadesh, Ta'am Mavdil, so far so good. Fine, so so far so good. Meaning the first statement says, until Motzei Shabbat, but Kol Kulo really covers that. Or the Kol Kulo meaning the entirety of the day. Somebody who didn't make Havdalah on Shabbat Saturday night. So according to the statement of Amemar in his reread of Rava, or his re-presentation of Rava, says you can make Havdalah 
the entire day of Sunday, but he doesn't say he doesn't say Shabbat, he doesn't say the whole week, and he also doesn't say you know the three days that are presumed to be the whole week or the the time after Shabbat, um, which is you know an interesting. I, I don't I'm not quite sure what to make of the fact that Amemar limits the statement of Rava with regard to Avdalah. The Gemara then comes and says as follows. So Marianuka and um, Markeshisha, which means Yanuka meaning like one who is nursing, right? Um, and Keshisha meaning one who is elderly. So we seem to have two people who are both Mar like Mr., right? Mr. Young One, Mr. Infant, Mr. Elderly, um, which is presumably, um, what's the word? Pseudonyms, right? This is not really what their names are. This is two people who came together and they were clearly known as that was the young guy and that was the old guy. Bereja Rav Chista or Rav Ashi. So both of them are the sons of Rav Chista. I'm sure somewhere, Yordana, we must be able to find their names. Uh, I did not look at that beforehand, but yes, I'm sure we probably can. <laughs> okay. So they come, they're the sons of Rav Chista and they come to Rav Ashi. Zim latrin. So Amemar once happened to be at their house. Right at Rav Chista's house, these are the sons of Rav Chista. Velo Havalan Chamra, we didn't have wine for Avdala. Aitinu Lai Shikra, so we brought him. Uh, so Shikra, it can mean um, hard liquor. In this case, the translation I've seen says beer. Right, I think that's the most common understanding here that they brought beer to to make Avdala on instead of wine. Velo Avdil, but he did not make Avdala. Uba Tavat. And he ends up, you know, fasting the whole night. So by the next day, they, you know, they figured out a way to get him wine. And so then he was able to make and he was able to make and, and to eat and so on. So the next year or another year, he came to our house again. We didn't have wine. And again, we brought him beer. Amar, and now this is interesting. Amemar says, Ihachi, if this is the case, meaning it's the case that you don't ever have wine, which is an interesting question, right? Why don't they have wine for Avdala? If they don't ever have wine, meaning the presumption is that they don't make Avdala on wine, Chamar Medinahu, the phrase here, Chamar Medina, that is the, it is the beverage of the place, so to speak, right? Um, so this is the, this is like the wine of your land, right? The idea that it's beer in, instead, but it's, given enough um, uh, importance, right, to be able to make Avdel over it, Avdil Vatami Day. And so that time, the second time, he drinks from, he makes Avdel over the beer, and he drinks, he drinks and he eats, and, uh, you know, carries on, right? So, and this is today, nowadays also, right, there are, there are certain beverages that people do make Avdel on that are not wine, and wine or grape juice, right? Meaning so, some people will make wine, uh, some people make beer or hard liquor, or frankly, you know, orange juice, right? It depends what you've got. There's certain things that are considered outside of the pale of what's here, Hamar Medina, where they're just kind of like water or they're treated like water. I've heard people say that Coca-Cola is so common of a drink that it, can't, it doesn't have the importance to make Havdalan. And I'm not paskating for anybody. If you make Havdalan on Coca-Cola, I'm not one to... Speak about it. I actually don't drink Coke. Okay, next. The Gemara here says, Shmamina Tlat. We learn from this whole story, we learn three things. Shmamina, Hamavdil Bitfila, Sarichi Avdil Alhakos. Somebody who makes Havdala, who says Havdala in Davening, right? When you say your Tfilat 
and you have there's a little passage there that you say that recognizes the havdalah, the distinction between Shabbos and and the rest of the week and all the other distinctions that we've talked about still needs to come forward and make havdalah on on a cup on the cup meaning on wine or other chamer medina. Ushmamina, the second thing we learn, we see from Amemar's stringency, right, in that he's fasting until he actually makes Havdalah, that you're not supposed to eat um, until after you've made Havdalah. Ushmamina, and the third thing we learn, somebody who has not made Havdalah on Saturday night, as indeed the first year, the first time he was in this house, Amemar did not make Havdalah at night because he was waiting to get wine. So the Gemara concludes here, he could make Havdalah anytime during the week, which again is, according to the commentary, is it is limited to the first three days of the week. So this is like a very nice package, uh, I would say, of what the this particular topic within Havdalah is and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And it's pretty streamlined, I think. Um, I would make two comments here, which is, you know, this whole issue, well, I guess it's one comment, two thoughts. This whole issue about the wine and using this type of beer, you know, I couldn't figure out exactly, was this a money issue? In other words, that wine was so expensive, this was a cheaper alternative? Um, or is this also a diaspora issue that we know there are many halachot around uh, creating and making wine and that it really sort of has to continually stay kind of under possession or in contact with Jews as opposed to a non-Jew to stay kosher? And was that, you know, process maybe a little bit more difficult to do in the diaspora? And therefore, you know, that's why that sort of took over more than having regular wine. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like there are some people I know who don't drink wine. We're not wine drinkers, right? So like, they, they wouldn't think to make Havdalah, where they use something else for Havdalah, even grape juice, but also other beverages that are apparently have the level of importance, you know. Right. And, you know, I think it's interesting because it's late. This just popped into my head. But way later on the death, you know, when it's talking about, uh, you know, what you can eat or can't eat. It's the last line, actually, of the death, right? It says, you know, uh, Rava would actually drink wine the entire day. <laughs> of uh, Erev Pesach, because for him, at least, it sort of got his appetite going. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you that I do think different people view wine or have more or less of an appetite for wine. So Rebel was someone, because I read that, it's right at the bottom of the top, you know, and it said he drank wine the entire day. Like, I can barely drink four full glasses of wine at the Seder Correct. itself without falling on my face. Like, I'm like I'm one of those, you. I got to switch to grape juice by cup three. Or half grape juice, half wine. Or half and half, all the way through, right? Right, you know? But here you have Rebel, who's like drinking wine the whole day. So I just think, I think this reflects what I would say more broadly is, you know, wine is an interesting beverage. It has a certain particular type of cultural importance, religious importance. And I think we sort of see that reflected throughout this stuff in this passage on Havdalah, next with the whole discussion about how date beer sort of fits in um, and then even this, you know, one little thing about Rava at the end, that he would drink wine all through purposefully um, on Erev Pesach itself. So I'm going to jump a little bit ahead now to this, you know. But I just want to yeah. note no, one more thing, which we're going to talk about later as we get through this parak. But the phenomenon of wine that we have now, which is open a bottle and pour it and drink, swirl it in your glass if you want to be fancy, right? 
is not what they did, right? They had a much more concentrated wine that then they would dilute with X amount of water. Right. I wonder if maybe he was just having not so much wine all the day long, right? Meaning if it was much more diluted and then come to the Seder table and have a more intense cup. I don't know. Like, just, it's, like, pet, like it's like Petzl wine. Does everybody know what you right. <laughs> Like that drink in Israel? I don't know. Concentrate. Uh, that's possible. I don't know. Okay. I'm sure someone wrote a dissertation on this, but as we always say, the Zap doesn't wait and I didn't have time to find that dissertation. Uh, but maybe somebody else out there knows this. Um, I'm going to hop down to something else a little bit later on in Amad Aleph, uh, which, you know, talking about this sort of um, uh, beer, you know, date beer that they would make, right? So Levi Shadrle Rabbi Shikra Bartzleasar Migane, right? So Levi sends to Rabbi Huda Hanasi a beer, right? This date beer that had 13 soakings, right? So the idea is that they somehow took this, these dates and they soaked it in water, uh, you know, 13 times so that the water really took on the the taste of the um, of the of the uh, of the dates, right? Taame have basim tuba, and so he tasted it and he thought it, you know, he thought it was actually pretty good, and so he said, "Amar kagon So he says, "You know what? This you could actually make kiddush on, and not only that, vilomar lav kol and you could sing on it all the songs and praises in the world. In other words, he's saying, like, this is a good drink. I like, I think this is nice enough that you could drink it for, you know, use it for Kiddush. And I love the idea here, first of all, that obviously it was Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. So, like, Levi, you know, makes this special preparation, sends it to him. And it's not even so much in terms of, like, what did you think? Was it good or bad? But I can't tell, did Levi do this as a type of halachic question? Or is it that he sent him a gift and Rabbi Huda Nasi just happens to comment on or his expression of showing how good it was, was a halachic comment of it's so good, you could even use it for Kiddush. Um, but then what happens? Right. But at night, basically, it upset his stomach. Right. So I think we've all had that experience where we've eaten something that at the time we really enjoyed. And then you're up all night and your stomach does not feel so great. <laughs> and so he says it, it pains and it soothes, right? So in other words, he's saying, you know, it was good to go down, but it caused a lot of pain later. Interestingly, he doesn't necessarily reverse what he says about the Kiddush itself. But I think the point of that story is to say, like, this is never really going to be wine. You know, like this kind of date beer, it's not so great to drink. Uh, you know, it's just not. It, it's not equal. It's a little bit of an inferior um, type of drink. And then, you know, the Gemara it goes on uh, to talk a little bit more about this type of beer. Uh, you know, Rav Yosef goes on that he took, right, I'm a Rav Yosef, right, he took, will take a vow in public, right, meaning something that he could never reverse, that he'll never drink that beer, right, because it's not so nice. I'm a Rabbi Ashtim Zruviu, Yun, I think that's how you say it, below Aste Shikra, right? Rabbi says, I'd rather drink water used for soaking flax, <laughs> and I will not drink that kind of beer. So I think ultimately, um, you know, they come to the conclusion this was not necessarily the best drink. And then Rabbi comes and he says, but if you normally, you know, you can make Kiddush over this beer, if your regular drink would be beer. And again, this makes sense tying into the end, like for Rabbi, who liked to drink a ton of wine, Erev Pesach, that seems to be sort of his regular drink. If your regular drink is date beer, then you're allowed to have this date beer. 
Um, so I just, you know, so again, I think this is a great passage. It just shows us something interesting sociologically. Like nobody here drink, we don't drink date beer anymore. But I think this just shows us something interesting about, you know, some of the different types of foods that were popular during the Tanayim, during the Amorayim, and what were the halakhic implications of those types of foods circulating around. Well, the other thing is, right, date beer, because it's Pesach, right? They can't make it from hops. It has to be from not chametz. So now what? Now we have Slivovitz, right? Like, there's certainly plenty of alcoholic beverages that are not made from green, right? But they might not all be beer. Yes. I'm not an my, my family I don't know. actually has a recipe, my mother's side, where they make mead, like they make a type of paste dick beer. Um, you actually See, water you've it got date beer in your family. Yes, so they like, yes, we, we do a lot of quirky foods. Um, so and different people make it differently. You know, it's a fight over a little bit what the actual right recipe is. Um, but it's like a paste dick type of beer. Um, I just want to point out one last thing here on the doc, which is that we have our friend Agrippus here again. So the Gemara is having a discussion about when is the time that you have to stop eating, uh, you know, before um, uh, Pesach, right? We say it's Mincha on Erev Pesach. And are we talking about Mincha Gedola, meaning around noon? Or are we talking about Mincha Katana, which would be like around 3 p.m. of a perfect 12-hour day, you know, hour nine. And so the Gemara says, right, I'm a Ravina, Toshma, right? So Ravina says, Right now, remember, this is an Amora talking about Agrippus. Now, Agrippus lives much, 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 much earlier, right? He's living like 11 BC to like 40, you know, uh, to, to, to the year 40 afterwards. And Ravina says the following. Right, so he says, even Agrippus who regularly would eat usually at nine hours. In other words, that was sort of his first meal of the day because he was, the Gemara will go into explaining whatever it was. He Also, he wouldn't eat until it was dark. Um, I don't want to go through the details of what they learn out from this, but again, we saw Agrippus a few dapim earlier. Um, I couldn't remember which dap it was, but we had that story about him reciting Hakel where it came to that part about having a non-Jewish king. And I think, again, this is a beautiful story that really shows how beloved Agrippus was, right? He really, you know, he was sort of the king over uh, sort of the territory of Judea for the the Roman, um, uh, you know, for the Roman government and was sort of the last king of the Herodian uh, dynasty, um, you know, and not clear that he certainly had some non-Jewish blood in there. Um, but he really embraced Judaism and so much to the point that we even talk about the halacha around him, you know, particularly in this period of time, which is what I would really consider, you know, heir of Pesach, everything around Pesach is about us as a nation and reaffirming ourselves as a nation. And yet we even think about this halacha of this king, you know, sort of with this questionable lineage um, and certainly very strong Roman ties. And yet I think, you know, him being quoted by Ravina, who's an Amora, you know, shows sort of this fondness or appreciation that we had for him because he really was very, very good to, to the Jews and had such a respect for and really embraced Judaism. I think it's also an interesting contrast to the dynamic, let's say, between um, the Jewish Haggadah, right, the Jewish experience of Pesach reflecting back on Egypt. Right. The idea that we still have 
a phenomenon of a monarchy. We have a phenomenon of ties to Rome in a way, you know, at a certain point that was not bad later, maybe it was bad, but, you know, and I think that that contrast is perhaps more stark in the shadow of Pesach as compared to any other time of the year when there's so much discussion of, you know, the oppression of the Jews under one particular monarchy. Right. I think that's interesting too. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.